You are listening to Hear Her Sports, a podcast for active, adventurous women who love hearing stories from other active, adventurous women. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in sport through a conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. Joining me this week is Sevilla Blanc, who just wrapped up her first year in the elite field of World Cup mountain bike racing. Of course, we talk about her racing and training. She even gives an incredible view into the chaos of the starts. Once again, we hear that TV just does not show all the pushing and shoving and simply just the really close quarters the racers must maneuver in. Because starting positions are determined by a year's worth of UCI points, as a first-year elite, Sevilla does not line up near the front. So we hear how preparing for the starts is crucial for her. Like Molly Seidel did in the last episode, Sevilla talks about the importance of rest. Maybe we will all start to listen if we hear it over and over again. Well, maybe. Particularly applicable as we zip our way towards Thanksgiving and then through the rest of the year is what Sevilla has to say about the holidays. We also talk about what's next for her, which mostly involves keeping her Olympic goals in sight. And there's always so much more in every Hear Her Sports episode than what I list in the intro bit, so be prepared for the fun. As a note, Sevilla and I recorded in September, so many of the races she was planning on doing, she's actually already completed. For example, she won Schwamigan 40 in Wisconsin, placed 10th in Big Sugar in Arkansas, and finished up on the second step of the podium at Iceman in Michigan. And now to get going, I'll introduce Sevilla. Sevilla Blunk was raised in Northern California. As the youngest of three, she spent her childhood chasing two older brothers around on rusty hand-me-down bikes. Her love of the outdoors and the adrenaline from physical activity began with her parents providing an early introduction to pure adventure. Of course, strong internal motivation to keep up with her brothers also helped a lot. Sevilla's real bike racing started in high school through the NorCal Nike League. After graduating, she moved to Durango, Colorado for college and to pursue racing at a higher level. Sevilla is a six-time national champion, Pan Am champion, current elite cross-country national champion, and she has achieved two World Cup bronze medals. As successful as she is with all of those and even more incredible results, one of her biggest passions is to be an approachable mentor to kids getting into the sport and to inspire cycling as a lifelong outlet. All of you regular listeners know that it's always particularly fun for me to have cyclists on the show, so I am thrilled that Sevilla has made time to be on Hear Her Sports. Well, welcome, Sevilla. This is great you are here. Thank you. I can't wait to find out more about what you're up to. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, tell me more, like get us oriented about where you are, where you've been, like what's next. You mentioned that you have a race coming up and you know, explain to people where you live and how yeah, you travel yeah, around. For sure. So yeah, I just finished uh, my World Cup season a couple weekends ago. We had World Cup finals in Valdesol, Italy. And now, I mean, my, my focus is the World Cups. Um, we were over there for World Champs in France and then the World Cup in Italy. But now I'm kind of switching gears. I have a few more races this year. Uh, it's already mid-September, but I have, uh, yeah, Schwamigan 40 this weekend, which is part of the Lifetime Grand Prix. My boyfriend, Cole, we both race together. He's racing uh, in the Grand Prix right now, so it's a big focus for him, but I get to kind of 
join him now and we go to races together. So it's really fun. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be racing Schwamm again. And then next we'll do big sugar gravel in October, which is in Bentonville. And then we'll finish it off with Iceman in November. It's kind of like three races, but spread out over a couple months. They're just fun races for me to just reconnect with the, the cycling community in the U S like being over in Europe, you know, it's just a different, a different kind of atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, these, these next races where the pressure is a lot less and I get to just really enjoy the, the community here and, and be there for everybody. So I'm really excited about it. It's been a while since I've raced back in the U.S., so I'm really excited. How are you going to adjust to the longer racing? Because these are longer, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, well, Schwamigan is like... I think it's going to be about a two hour race. So oh, okay. it's not, it's not crazy. Um, and I think like my, my XC fitness will transfer over pretty well, but yeah, for a race like big sugar later this year, that's going to be, uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to go, <laughs> but it's going to, I think we'll change training a little bit, like do some more longer endurance rides and kind of build that endurance up. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, the gravel, scene is is it's so much for everyone so i'm really just excited to be out there and just go through the adventure with everyone else and just take on whatever comes my way so yeah uh talk a little bit about your european season this year because i hadn't realized that this was your first elite level year so what was that like and how was it transitioning into the upper group yeah yeah so yeah this is my first year elite and it's a little bit different in the u.s because usually they combine the u23 and the elite so we all race together but in the world cups it's different it's separated so this was my first year racing with the top of the top uh over in europe which was pretty crazy because i'm like competing against my idols of the sport you know for me, it started in Albstad, Germany, actually, in May. So I didn't go to the first World Cup in Brazil. Uh, I did Albstad and Nova Mesto. And, and we kind of took a little bit of a conservative approach to this year as my first year elite. And our goals are in the next couple years. So I didn't race all the World Cups and kind of uh, balanced it a little bit more with some, some races in the U.S., so Alpstad, Nova Mesto, and then I raced uh, Lenzerheide World Cup and Snowshoe here in the U.S., and then Leger World Champs, and then Val So, yeah, a little bit fewer races, but gosh, each one is, is so jam-packed, and you just learn so much racing at that level. But, yeah, I would say, first of all, like, the, the race is longer, so the race in the elite elite category is like an hour and a half usually and U23s are races were like around more like an hour hour five or so um so that's one difference and then also just the the competition I mean you're throughout the hour and a half race you are always battling within seconds of your competitors and you finish and maybe you're sprinting you you have a sprint finish for 25 25th or something but you're surrounded by like four other people. So you're constantly battling for position all the way down to the line. And I, I kind of remember, at least for me and U23, like 
there would be just a little bit bigger gaps and maybe you'd be kind of racing by yourself for a little bit. Uh, but that just, yeah, that doesn't happen uh, at the elites. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just more, just a higher level, more action, I guess. Sure. And for me, like one of the, the coolest things and most memorable parts was I uh, finally, I've been kind of just out of the top 40. So I wasn't able to race short track at the first few World Cups, but finally made it into that top 40 for Snowshoe and Baldasol. And just having that opportunity was uh, a huge game changer for me because I've been, uh, I've been starting at the back because of my UCI point ranking. So that is just a huge added challenge really at the start to be like, you know, sixth row and trying to kind of navigate that, that whole chaos. Being able to race the short track is not only super fun event, but you get to compete for a a better start position on Sunday. So that's been a really, a big uh, thing in these last couple races for me to be able to kind of work my way up to have a better start. Can you explain more about the chaos? You know, like what actually is going on and, and, you know, like what's your experience moving from the back? Yeah, gosh. I mean, I think that starting in the back is, um, yeah, mainly it's just really stressful (laughs) because you, before the race, you know, you know that you're going to line up sixth, seventh row. You don't, you probably don't have a, a choice between left or right side. You just roll up and go wherever you're surrounded by like handlebars and and people budging and like trying to kind of uh, push up before the start even before the the gun even goes off people are kind of like moving and pushing and shoving kind of trying to get forward and yeah and then when the race starts it's just like it's just about reacting to anything around you trying to stay calm and avoid overlapping wheels and and any crashes and Ideally, I always like to start on the the edge so I have at least an opening. But yeah, I mean, it never, it it does not always work that way. So yeah, I think that the hardest part is like just the stress and then burning all those matches in the first like two or three minutes of the race to try to move up and get yourself into a good position before like the course narrows and and the the leaders are really like gone, you know? (laughs) Right. <laughs> I think it's hard to tell about the start, you know, watching on TV because, you know, of course the cameras are, you know, focused on the front. And so often we don't see what is going on in the back and all the difficulty back there. Yeah, for sure. You you really don't see much on TV of the chaos. It's pretty crazy. I watched the one of the starts from Worlds back and I just remember that moment, you know, of like trying to find my way through the race. But then the way they show it on TV, it's like, oh, like it doesn't look it, it just it looks so calm on TV, almost, you know, <laughs> right. compared to what I I experienced. But do you train for that that start? Well, yeah. So this year, actually, that's been a big focus of my training is like working on the acceleration and my uh, kind of start sprint. So we've really focused on that. But I mean, it's really hard to train kind of that battling for position. That's something that you really only get to experience in a race. And that's that's a big element of it as well. Not just, you know, the power you're able to accelerate with, but really navigating around all the people. <laughs> sure, and having the, I don't know, 
the chutzpah, I guess, to, to go through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And how did Worlds go? It went good. You know, I, yeah, I went over to Europe a week early to race this uh, Basel Swiss Cup as like a warm up race. But yeah, unfortunately, I got like a stomach bug the second night I got to Europe. So actually, like the first five days, I was really sick. And the lead up to the trip had gone so good. Like my training was really going good. And I had a lot of confidence. So when I got sick, it really made me have to kind of reassess my expectations and um, kind of decide how I wanted to represent myself. And that was different than what I had traveled to Europe with in mind. You know, I was pretty sick and I, I, you know, I didn't have an appetite or like wasn't eating, which was the weirdest thing for me as like an athlete. (laughs) Like, what is this? But uh, yeah, I, I wasn't really feeling normal until like two days before short track. So that was Friday. And yeah, we were kind of going at a short track, like, all right, this is just, you know, to blow out the system, no expectations here. Like, you've been sick all week, just go as hard as you can and really try to open up the system. So that's what I did. And it went it went well, actually, I was 10th. I, I dropped a chain on the last lap when I was battling for I think top seven. So that was a bit of a bummer. But I still finished 10th. And that was my my second like World Cup level short track. So learned a lot there. But the unique thing about Worlds is that they don't actually take the call up from short track for XE because it's just a different event uh, and it's World Champs. So the call up for the XE is based off of UCI points again. So that's why on Sunday I was, uh, yeah, I think 40th and I lined up sixth row, I think. So it was kind of the same thing. But yeah, I was able to like have a good start, navigate through everything, avoid crashes, which to me, that means a good start if you avoid any crashes in that kind of situation. And then, yeah, I just worked my way up and I, I felt really good that day. I think, you know, I was over my sickness and I was rested, which was, you know, worked to my benefit. In the end, I was uh, 13th at Worlds and really proud of that race because I think as an athlete, like it's really hard to adjust your expectations when you get sick or something happens. So for me to be able to come back and and have a race that I was really proud of and Worlds was a a really big goal for our whole season. Uh, So to to be able to come and and have a performance that I was proud of was, uh, I was really happy about that. It's also hard to, you know, prepare for a single day event and, you know, be ready for that event. And you mentioned how you got sick and, you know, that throws wrenches into the system right away. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, you only have one shot at this thing. Like you have one day that you have to be primed for, you know, that makes it even harder if if things don't go great or you don't feel well, because it's like, really? Like my off day had to be this day, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, but no, I mean, I think we handled it the best I could. And got the most out of it I could, but something was going around. So everyone was dealing with like a stomach bug kind of thing. And that's just the sport, you know, it happens. So yeah, you just have to kind of navigate it in the most positive, best way you can, because you're never dealt the perfect hand of cards. Sure. Are you good at nerves or like uh, controlling nerves or using those or whatever you would do? Yeah, you know, I think it's a funny question. Like people ask that a lot. And 
I guess that it's just kind of something that's always there for me. Um, it's not like I'm really nervous or I'm not nervous at all. It's just like kind of always in the background. For Worlds, actually, it was funny. And I think because, because I didn't really have expectations, I really wasn't, I think it was the night before short track, I was like not nervous at all. I was like so chill, not even really thinking about the race. And then I think the race day, like that's when it always comes. Uh, and for me, I've, I've, I guess I'm always really excited about the race, but I've been trying to kind of like dampen that until race day and really kind of like save your excitement because excitement is energy, you know, and really save it till like the day or the hours before the race when like, then you can really turn it on and get in the zone. But yeah, for nerves are definitely always there kind of in the back. But yeah, I think the more that you race and also the fact about racing, Short track is really nice because it kind of gives you like like a practice round in a way. Like on Friday afternoon, everybody's pretty chill, like there to have a really good time and, and just get a really good opener. And then on Sunday, you're like, oh, this is easy. Like I did this two days ago, you know, so you have a little bit more It's fresh in your mind. It sounds like you like to compete. I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Not everybody does. I also really like to train, mm. but... Gosh, yeah, I really love to compete and especially on the World Cup circuit. There's so much action and and you're learning so much and it's just really really exciting to be uh in that environment and it's a good place to to learn and grow as an athlete. So what did you learn this year and and what are you going to focus on over the off season? Good question. <laughs> I <laughs> maybe, guess maybe I, you're not I'm in just... off season mode yet. <laughs> I know I'm still like I had last week to kind of decompress and like reset a little bit but I'm like gosh yeah now I really do need to reflect on the season and think about <laughs> what I what we should work on but yeah I mean I think that the biggest thing was just gaining experience and like I said I didn't race every world cup so I was able to go into every world cup like pretty fresh and really ready to kind of absorb all the everything from the race the experience then fitness wise and then really kind of reflect on it so I think that we we really learned a lot with like the starts and uh, as I said that was something that we were really focusing on in my training as well but yeah I mean I think for me like having some good starts this year and knowing that like I can I can be up there but then just holding it <laughs> you know that's the next challenge is being able to stay up there so there's a lot to work on in the next few months, but hopefully I'll remember that that's the hardest thing also about like the end of the season and off season is like, I've ended the season really on a good note and motivated and also a little bit unfulfilled and like knowing that I want a little bit more. I'm just trying to remember that feeling for next year, you know? So like remembering that feeling in six months and just trying to, get right back there is always the challenge after off season. I would think that a big part of mountain biking, and I have not raced mountain bikes, but I would think that a big part of mountain biking would be staying technically proficient, even at the end of the race when you're fatigued. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big part of it. And I try to stay on my mountain bike as much as possible, like throughout the winter 
and during base season to really keep the skills up because yeah, that's definitely something that, that you lose a little bit of or not really lose, but like I said, a big part of the racing is like that bar to bar battling with the other riders. So that's not something that you really get in the winter. Yeah, I try to just train. I mean, I train 100% on my mountain bike actually. So over the winter months, I'll, I'll just be trying to ride trail as much as I can. And, and yeah, it's also a really good time to focus on those like specific technical aspects like jumping or, you know, wet routes or something like that. You really have a lot more time to kind of focus and maybe travel to an area that you can really focus on that. How was your technical skills compared to the rest of the field? Uh, yeah, it's always been something that, that I really enjoy. The courses that are more technical are uh, usually suit me better. From a young age, I, I started riding with my brothers. I started like following them. We used to always be really into like building jumps in our backyard. And, uh, and we had this pump track that we built with my dad over the years and just kind of like seeking that adrenaline rush with them. So maybe that's kind of where I, I got my... I kind of learned how to turn my fear off a little bit, but um, yeah, if that makes sense. I don't know. I really do love technical races, and for me, I think they they do suit me a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, it's always something that I'm working on, and, and yeah, when we're throwing races like Snowshoe World Cup this year, where it just starts downpouring mid-race, and you really have to like go from riding dry rock gardens and dry, steep route descents to super wet, super slick route descents and rock gardens where everybody is just like all over the place. That is something that, uh, yeah, you can always get better at that, <laughs> being able to switch that and, and really be able to ride that well. So there's always ways to improve. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that I love this sport so much is that there's so much to always improve. I love that you are here listening to another terrific sporty woman tell her story. Following women's sports is a form of activism. Watching women's sports, talking about it, and supporting it are all forms of activism. As Kelly Irvick said in episode 132, women artists and women athletes have faced the exact same challenges over centuries. All women have faced the same challenges. So the stories you are listening to on Hear Her Sports are the same ones being told by women in the arts, in business, in politics, or wherever. I encourage you to continue listening to Hear Her Sports and tell your friends about it. Because we are a listener-supported show, we always appreciate when you give back through Patreon or buy me a coffee, which is way easier to use. Find us at patreon.com slash hearher or buymeacoffee.com slash hearher. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see, 
They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network. You mentioned on your website that growing up where you did in, in Inverness, California, that you learned the importance of understanding where you came from, your surroundings, and how to have power to change your environment for the better. Can you explain that a little bit? I grew up in a really rural place. Like We did not have neighbors. We're surrounded by forest. And I was actually homeschooled with my two older brothers for most of my childhood. And yeah, we just really spent a lot of time outside, like learning from uh, the land and, and our environments and really connected closely to nature. So as I go out, like now go to college and I see a lot of the world through racing, like, yeah, I'm able to just really kind of reflect on the different environments and really appreciate them for what they are. So I think it, it really gave me a, a deep understanding of my environment and the ones that I am able to, I have the privilege of visiting. We all have an impact on where we are and where we travel and just trying to have the best, lightest impact that we can is something that I think we should all be aware of. Are you still traveling in the van? Yes. So cool. Cole, my boyfriend, he races mostly domestically. So when I'm overseas, he's kind of batching it in the van. Um, and so now I've kind of joined him. So we're actually in it right now. We'll, we'll fly out tomorrow to Schwamigan. Yeah, it's kind of our little home on wheels. It's, it's a pretty cozy little thing and a really good tool for us to be able to like train and travel to different uh, training grounds throughout the winter. So we both went to college in Durango where in the winter we, you know, you get a lot of snow. So it was really a good tool for us when we were in school to uh, be able to go to drier places or more technical terrain and really keep those skills up and, and be able to train in just varied environments. So you were living in the van when you were going to school? Oh, no, sorry. We were living in an apartment, oh, but okay. we have the van and uh, we are kind of using it part time for like weekend or, or little training camps. Right, right. So this winter, so you'll be based in Durango in an apartment, but you'll again use the van to go to other places when the weather is not good in Durango for your training. Uh, so it's a little bit complicated, <laughs> but now so now I... Uh, yeah, we're, my boyfriend and I were both out of school. So we're in Durango for most of the summer, usually kind of basing out of there, doing some altitude training. And then I grew up in Northern California. So in December, we'll go there and do some training camps there where it's the weather's a lot better. Last year, we actually went to Girona, Spain for uh, January and February to really focus and do a really good training block there. Our coach is actually, he lives in Girona, so it was a really good location for us to be. For me, there's a lot of UCI races happening early season around that area, so I was able to kind of do a really good training walk and then hit some early season UCI races uh, where you're not traveling a ton, you know, they're pretty pretty close. So yeah, we hope to do that again, uh, but we'll see. 
I, I think it's hard for people to understand sort of the lifestyle of a bike racer like you, you know, not really having a solid place where you're living most of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is, it's kind of crazy for me too, <laughs> because it's so normal. And then I get to points and I'm like, wow, I haven't unpacked my suitcase in, I don't know how long, <laughs> you know, it was really nice this summer. I was able to really kind of be in Durango in one place for a couple months. But yeah, since then, I'm I'm really living out of a suitcase for the majority of the year. So it, it becomes pretty normal to me. For other people, it's, it's definitely not normal. <laughs> Do you like it? And is there anything that you miss? Yeah, no, I mean, I love it. Like, I think you have to love it to to dedicate your life to it but but for sure like it does get old for sure and I think I miss mostly sometimes just like being in one place and um and having like I love to cook so having like my kitchen and and just uh being able to just yeah be in your home in your own bed and everything I think that that's something everybody everybody would miss so how do you cook in the van yeah so we actually just uh renovated it last winter and we put like a little a stove inside before we just had like this little camp stove that we'd use outside but now there's like a little two burner stove inside and it actually it's super easy to use and you can get like one or two pots on there pretty good so it's pretty simple and do you have a refrigerator and are you i mean i just imagine two cyclists training all the time always requires a ton of food. So like, how are you storing all that stuff and, you know, making meals big enough? Oh, yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that was like this, the focus of the, the renovation. <laughs> because also, if you know my boyfriend, he, he's not the average eater. He eats a lot. And we both, we both eat a lot. We're, we're racing and training. So we actually upgraded the fridge as well. And it's big. Like, I'm always really surprised it's kind of like a, a mini fridge size, but I'm always surprised how much fits in there. So that was a big focus is like, we need to have a lot of space in the fridge to be able to have like multiple days of, of food. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's in there. And we're pretty much able to like go to the grocery store and like get a good week's worth of food in there. So oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty ideal. And that was, yeah, that was really important for us. Well, what's a typical meal that you'll make? Gosh, um, we really do so much, but uh, we have a rice cooker, which makes it super easy, like plug that in, make a pot of rice. And then uh, I don't know, different stuff. Like I love doing chicken, like chicken and veggies. We'll do like stir fries. Yeah, spaghetti. We do a lot of pastas, I guess. I'm always like really interested in, in different recipes and trying different things. And my parents are, are really good cooks. And growing up, like we had a big garden. We ate a lot off of like the land that we lived on. So yeah, I mean, they're not like chefs or anything, or they don't have any background in that, but they were just such good cooks. And so, yeah, I just learned a lot from them and, and kind of adopted that love of being in the kitchen from them. So it's uh, just something I really like to do, just experiment and, and uh, just try different stuff. 
I want to talk a little bit about your early bike riding because you did race, as you said, in high school in the NICA league. Sort of explain what that is and, and what you got from that. I went to high school at um, actually an all girls high school. And my freshman year, we started the first all girls high school mountain bike team in the nation at the time. So it was pretty cool to be a part of, and it was a small, small team we had, but it enabled the high school to compete in the NICA league, which was very healthy in our area. So I got kind of my start in racing, uh, in the NorCal NICA league. So it was, it was a really cool experience. I mean, we were racing every other weekend in uh, the spring and competing against other girls. So that's when I was like, just kind of realizing that like, whoa, other girls do this. And like, there's a, there's all this competition element to it. And it's not just about like riding your bike on the mountains behind your brothers. (laughs) So that was really cool. And yeah, I mean, now I think that Nika has grown so much and that's something that's really cool for me to see is like when I was a freshman in high school, I think there were like 14 girls in my category maybe. And now I think you, you show up to one of those races and there's more than 60. Like it's, it's crazy how much it's grown. So that is really cool and really exciting to see. I would have loved to do mountain biking in high school. I think it's amazing that they're a mountain biking team. Certainly wasn't happening when I was younger. Yeah, no, it's, it's really awesome. And it's such a good thing. And we were, yeah, it's, it's just a really cool thing to be able to go out and, you know, the after, after school practices, I remember we would like see the cross country running team when we we're going out on our rides. And I think they were all kind of jealous of us. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've mentioned that giving back to young girls and young athletes in general is really important. And you have a lot of pictures of yourself, you know, doing autographs and whatnot on Instagram. You know, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It is something that's really important to me because yeah, like growing up, I lived in a rural town and, you know, I always, I followed the pros racing and stuff, but I never really knew anybody. And at the races, it, it was so intimidating to like think about going up and, and talking to any one of them or asking them questions. And there I was as a young girl, shy, you know, but really into this sport and motivated and like inspired by these older people, but, but kind of scared to like go out and ask them questions or, or like, how, how do you do this? Like, how do you get there? So for me now, like, that's really my goal is to, to be somebody that is approachable and, and that, that, that young kids aren't afraid to come up to, you know, and, and ask questions and, and learn from, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at the beginning of my career, but yeah, I want to be as much help to the younger generation as I can. How do you manage that during race days or race weekends when, you know, you obviously have your own goals, you know, like, is it easy to interact with the the viewers? Yeah, you know, it's something that actually really, really fuels me. Like, as I said, I'm, I'm really excited to go back and to Schwam again and race uh, in the U.S. And, and see everybody. I think it's, it's really exciting. It's kind of like a, a family reunion in a way sometimes. And for sure, like it, it's overwhelming at, at times, but I think that people are, are really respectful too of like race day. 
is kind of when you're focusing and it's nice to be able to kind of get to the events a few days early and we do some community stuff in the days leading up to the race so that's when I'm able really able to kind of connect with the community and and not be like distracted by by your race you know so I'm not exactly sure how to ask this question but you know like you're a first year elite you've had incredible success as a U23 as a junior and even in this first year you've had incredible success I would say like where do you feel like you are in your career you know like put it in a context of sort of like looking back like what are you going to focus on what are you interested in doing long term that kind of stuff yeah i mean it's crazy i think that the last few years have kind of blended together and now i'm at the end of my first year elite and i think that i've learned so much this year and i think that for me the big focus is on 2024 and the paris olympics so that will be like the focus moving forward and it's coming right up. I mean, next year is already 2023. So I think it'll all kind of come at me really quick, but that's kind of how, how it all goes. Like, it's just crazy how quickly these, these seasons go by and like, boom, now we're at the end of it. So fitness wise, like there's always so much to improve mental, like, you know, there, there's always ways to grow there. For me, for sure, the next couple years, it's it's a big focus on the Olympics and then hopefully an, a, another Olympic cycle. But yeah, I mean, it's also so cool to see so much growth uh, in the U.S. in in the cycling world. So I really love to come back and do these races back here. And, you know, I'm not focused on the Grand Prix or, or really gravel, but it's really fun for me to kind of dip my toes in some of those events and just connect with that world and those communities. It's really, really fun to be a part of that in a small way. Let's talk a little bit about the Olympics. So it's 2024. And as you mentioned, it's going to be here before you know it. Like is 2023 a qualification year? Are you going to be having races where you're really going to have to be performing specifically for one event? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of 2023, the whole World Cup season is going to be really important and especially world champs next year is a big qualification event so yeah next year is is kind of uh it's kind of a big year (laughs) but I think that I'm at a good point just really really motivated and feeling pretty fresh at the end of the season which is um which is a good thing I think that was kind of the goal for me not to be like finishing the season and be totally burnt out and like tired and done. So yeah, I think we're, we're at a good point and we have a lot of work to do for sure. Uh, but yeah, a good, a good winter and a few months ahead of us. So you said you have a coach. So how do you work with him? I, I think I read that he was a, he, how do you work with him and how does like, what information does he give you and what are you, what kind of decisions are you making for yourself and who does sort of the, you know, long-term planning, thinking about the Olympics. Yeah. So he, he really does, you know, well, together we've kind of planned out my goals for the next few years and made sure that we're both on the same page about that. He is based over in Girona, but we communicate daily. So the communication is, is really good. And I think that's, that's super key with any relationship with your coach is just 
really being able to talk to them about anything because, you know, your training is, um, is such a big part of your life and it's important to kind of take in all aspects of your life, you know, all stresses, if you're in school or not, really try to find that training life balance, which I think is something that is super important, especially for longevity in the sport and just having fun with it still. We, we work together, really. We communicate a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's working out. You, you talked about bike racing balance with life. I mean, how are you doing that? I think that's hard. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> it is hard. But I guess what I mean is, like, balance in the small ways. Like, I remember when I was in school, in high school, and in college, like, I mean, you're so dedicated. Like, if you're an athlete, if you're racing bikes, like, you're motivated, you're dedicated, but finding that balance of like, what is too much, like what is too type A and what is a good time to just like, maybe it's okay if you don't ride that 30 extra minutes to complete your workout and you go home and you take a nap if you're like exhausted from your your school day or whatever, because in the long run, it's not gonna, that's not gonna be the difference between winning your race and... <laughs> maybe you're going to be happier and healthier in the long run. So that's something that I've definitely had to learn because I'm definitely more of like a type A athlete. And I used to be so like, I have to do this and this and this, and it has to be perfect. Um, but I think that as I've gotten older, it's also like, I've realized that like, that's not going to be the difference between winning and losing. And you're going to be way happier and healthier in your day-to-day -day. so that's that's what's more important by far well i'm laughing because i have a coach and you know if it's on the piece of paper if it's on the schedule it really takes a lot of my mental energy to not do it even if i'm not going good yeah totally and i'm the same way but yeah i think one of the things that i've really learned with my coach is that things change day-to-day uh, -day, and sometimes we don't even put anything in the schedule if i'm like feeling tired because we'll just talk about it that morning and see how I'm feeling, like see how I slept. Like another thing that is super nice is around holidays and stuff. Like he'll really take into account that, you know, that's family time. Like what do you really want to be doing around Christmas? Do you want to be doing like a five hour ride every day or enjoying that like special time with your parents that you, you don't get to have all year round. So that's kind of like the, the life training balance that I'm talking about that is really important and overlooked a lot with athletes because I think that, you know, everybody's like, oh, I have to I have to train through this. You know, I have to push through this and just get it done. But, yeah, it's important to, to think about the other aspects of your life and really find that sustainable balance. I would expect it's great that you have your boyfriend right there. Most, I mean, you said that you we're now doing a lot of racing in Europe and he's, he's not doing that. He's focusing on uh, the Grand Prix, but still, I mean, he understands what you're doing. He understands, you know, how hard it is and is training in a very similar way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we spent, we spend a lot of time apart, especially this year because yeah, I'm over in Europe and he, he's not there, but it is for sure super nice for me to have, that person that just gets it uh, in all aspects of that word, like he really, he really understands um, the stress and what just everything that goes into to being a bike racer because he's doing the exact same thing. And yeah, for sure, like for some people, it doesn't work 
to have somebody like that, but for us it does. And we actually have the same coach. And again, sometimes that also doesn't work. But for us, I think like we can just be honest with our coach and be like, you know, our, our training is super different. He's focused on, I mean, just because he's also a different physiology than I am. He's focused on endurance racing and I'm more doing shorter, kind of more high intensity stuff. So it's super different. But when we can, like our coach will have us ride together on like an easy day. And that's, that's usually super nice. And, and if it's not, we'll just be like, I don't want to like make us have different training plans today. Like (laughs) we need to, we need to go do something different. Um, and we could just like be honest in that way. So it's, it's super nice and yeah, it works out. And it's definitely super nice to come back and, um, yeah, just have somebody who, who gets it all the time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty special. You talked a little bit about off season. Is that a big part of your sort of, you know, regular life bike racing balance? You know, you use that as time for refreshing. Like how will you use your off season, both mentally and physically? Yeah. I mean, for now I have a couple more months where I'm still training for these races, but there's a lot less pressure. So I think for me, my goal is to really try to relax in these next few months and just not not feel succumbed by the pressure, uh, which is going to be a challenge because I think naturally I I am competitive and I want to be really good for these races. But I also know that it's like, it's not the focus right now. And you have to allow your brain really to like have that downtime. And then when the season's over, I'll take a couple weeks like completely off. And yeah, I really try to just really take that off and do stuff that I would never do uh, before, but also like do nothing. I think that there's, there's a, sometimes people are like, yeah, I'm going to do all these different, like all this different stuff in my off season and really challenge my body in different ways. But what I've really learned is that sometimes that's just literally doing nothing because we never allow our bodies to do that. That's what you really need to be able to build back to a a higher peak and it's definitely hard because it it usually comes you know you're you're racing you're racing and then it's over and there's kind of this lull and it's a transition period to kind of turn your brain turn your body off usually I actually feel really bad for like a, a week or so if I'm not training but it's it's like what your body really needs so it's a challenge but it's necessary. You mentioned liking food and liking to cook and all of that. Is nutrition super important? I mean, do you know a lot about nutrition? Do you focus on that? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I didn't study it, but as I said, like, it's a natural kind of passion of mine. And yeah, I mean, as an athlete, for sure, like, we really care about what we put in our bodies. So I'm always interested in like learning new, like, nutrition facts or like what what nutrients or fibers are like better for you or stuff like that but yeah really just experimenting with recipes and and I mean I don't really have or live with with any restrictions I I just really love playing in the kitchen and um yeah I mean it's a really important part of of being an athlete is fueling yourself well so it's kind of fun for me to take that really seriously and have fun with it Do you have any tips for fueling on the bike? I would say 
eat often. And I mean, I think for fueling on the bike, like it's really important to, to eat throughout the ride. You have to sustain those energy levels to, to be performing well, but also to keep having fun. I mean, it depends like what your goals are on the bike, but if you're just, uh, just using it as a, as kind of a lifestyle activity, I think it's, it's still important to eat on the bike and I don't know why you wouldn't want to. <laughs> There's, I mean, for me, like, gosh, yeah, I eat all kinds of like ride food, you know, prepackaged stuff. But yeah, I also really love like making, we've been really into making rice cakes this year. So nice. putting, yeah, putting different stuff in there. Like we'll do one with like, I've done one with jam. Like you just make rice and then just put any kind of your favorite jam in it. It's pretty good. Always add a little bit of salt. <laughs> I love salt. And then we make one with like uh, bacon. It's like a bacon maple kind of. So mm. they're just like super easy to make. And it's a nice way to fuel those longer endurance rides. I have trouble getting them to stick together. I ended up like with a tin foil of a lot of mush. Yeah. Yeah. I have that struggle too. But yeah, I think it's like about having the rice be like wet enough. I found is the key. Got it. Well, thank you. This was amazing. And I'm super excited about your next races and also about next season to follow you. It's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really nice conversation. And that is it for another great episode. Thank you to Sevilla for being on Hear Her Sports. And a heartfelt thank you to all of our special Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee supporters for their continued backing of the show. I'm so grateful that each one of them took the time to express their appreciation for the podcast by signing up as a patron or by sending me a virtual coffee. It means a lot because Hear Her Sports is a listener-supported show, and we couldn't do it without you. If you are not a supporter and would like to be, go to patreon.com slash hearher or to the easy-to-use buymeacoffee.com slash hearher. Visit the show notes page at hearhersports.com for links to what we talked about in the episode, including some of the races Sevilla has done, and to the feed. You can always connect with me in an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com. You know I love talking about women's sports, so I look forward to hearing from you. We are on all the socials at Hear Her Sports. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com. Until next time, bye-bye. Awesome. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.